We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we've been in our current series, Christmas, The Supporting Cast, we've been exploring the lesser known stories of Christmas. And today we're looking at Anna's story. A widow at a young age, Anna knew what it was like to walk through trials, yet she remained faithful. She remained in a posture of gratitude and worship, trusting God to come through and waiting for the Messiah. So dive into Anna's story with us today as we see what God's word has to teach us. We're so glad you're here. Well, sometimes you come to grips with the harsh reality that people value things a lot more than you value them, that people are passionate about things much more passionately than you are. Maybe there's something right now that you care a lot about, and you kind of look across the landscape and you realize nobody cares about that as much as I care about that. Or maybe there's an action that you're willing to do, and you kind of look across and you realize nobody to the right or to the left seems to care or seems to be willing to do what I am willing to do. Maybe people are very passionate. They're very vocal about something that you just are not passionate about, or you're just simply not vocal about. If you have never been on social media, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you are on social media outlets, you see this played out, where people are really passionate about something, and you're just not as passionate about it. Now, this happens all the time. A quick kind of perusal of Facebook, for example, or the next door, will show you people asking for recommendations, right? They're always asking for a plumber recommendation or a restaurant for a date night recommendation. And because we are people with information, we like to answer their questions, don't you? We like to give them the recommendations, avoid this, go there, whatnot. But what I've noticed over time is people are becoming pretty bold with the things that they're asking for recommendations for. I saw this just the other day. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I saw on Facebook someone asking for a recommendation for a neurosurgeon. And I thought to myself, have you been on this site? These are the people that... <laughs> I'm like, I love my neighborhood, but I'm not trusting these people, you know, with, um, with uh, who's going to cut my head open and perform a, a surgery, a neurosurgeon. I thought to myself, there has to be layers of people that we could have talked to about this. But again, you do you. That's not my value. But if that's where you want to stay, then by all means, do it. There's lots of things that, that kind of fill in that category of, I wouldn't do that, but you will. You care about that? I don't. For example, pumpkin spice lattes, they take the world by storm over the fall. And for all of you, please don't go try to find another church. You know, don't, don't get mad at me for saying this. You, if you know me, you know I'm enamored with coffee. I just don't understand the fascination with that particular drink. Now, some of you guys really hate me, and you're giving me these kind of evil stares like, how dare you speak out? Again, our, our pumpkin spice latte. So just to make sure that I'm not throwing you under the bus, inversely, there are some things that I'm really passionate about that you probably don't care about, that you probably think, mm, yeah, I don't have that value system. Some of you guys are really enamored by kind of fancy smancy brunch restaurants, and you go pay eight dollars for hash browns. And here, I'm here to tell you that my smothered, covered, and chunked hash browns from Waffle House that cost less than eight dollars that get sausage and waffles and toast thrown in for free will stand up against any of your 
fancy schmancy things. How about e-readers and Kindle? Some of you guys are big fans of those. I've just never gotten the fascination behind it. I'm old school. I like a wall of books. I like a 40-pound backpack full of books to carry from point A to point B. I've just never understood the fascination with why you would value being able to have all those books on one little Kindle or e-reader, but nonetheless. And then there's another one that's very current, and it might strike a chord with you because we're moving into bowl season of college football. And there are 84 teams that got invited to a ball game. Nothing says attaboy like being one of the 84 teams that gets a playoff game. I think to myself, we have got to cut that in half at a minimum. I mean, because nothing says you're special like being one of the 100 teams, you know, that gets something after the season is over. And it just feels so good to get all that off my chest this morning. I'm sure that you can relate to this that you might say, I don't know why that gets so valued by this person, and yet it's not valued at all by this person. I don't know why I care so much about this, and the rest of the world doesn't care about that at all. That kind of, that kind of feeling that you get when I'm giving you these examples is an amazing setup for this character that we're going to look at today in this Christmas series called The Supporting Cast, because what you're going to see in this character that we're looking at today is a way of living and a way of thinking that is very valuable in God's economy, but the world says, hmm. It's very valuable to live according to the way that this character lived in this supporting cast member, but the world kind of looks at this way of thinking and thinks, hmm. I'm not sure that that's something you should aspire to. And so my hope and my prayer in our time together is that you'll catch it, that these truths from this supporting cast member would take root in your life and that they would really impact the way that you would live, not only here in this Christmas season, but of course beyond. And so I'm so grateful that you're here with us today. A special welcome to all of you here with us for the very first time today. I'm so thankful that you said yes to whoever invited you to come today. Thank you for inviting people to come with you today, or thank you for driving by the property and just saying, I want to kind of pull in there and see what's happening here at Roll. Hills. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I don't believe it's by accident that you're here. And so I want to ask you to just kind of open up your heart to see specifically what is it that God wants to teach us today as we continue in this Christmas series. So our text that we're going to be looking at today is in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible and you want to hop on over to Luke chapter 2, it's pretty close to the beginning of the New Testament. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. If you have a mobile device, you can hop online as well and follow along with these verses. As Jacob said, it's the top of the service and the welcome as well. We give you a worship guide there every week. We have some points that we're going to kind of fill in those blanks if you want to kind of follow along with that. And you're going to see those words up here as well. And maybe you can kind of reflect on those things a little bit later on in this week. But our text comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 40. And if you were here last week, then you'll know that this is a continuation of the story. Or maybe you hopped online and, and listened to last week's uh, message. But if not, what's happening in this place is that we're in a point that's about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. So this is coming about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And that throws some of you for a curveball because you're like, I thought this was the Christmas series. Why are we talking about Jesus being eight weeks old already? It's okay. Because some of these supporting cast members that had such a significant part of Jesus's early life are people that were introduced to, you know, within a couple weeks after Jesus being born. And so what happened last week is that Jesus was born, he's about 40 days old, and he was brought to the temple to be dedicated, consecrated to God. And he meets there a man named Simeon. And Simeon was someone who had been waiting for the Messiah. He had been in the temple day and night waiting on the Messiah to come. And God had given Simeon a promise that you will not die until you see the Messiah. And so enters Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus for the dedication of Jesus, according to Jewish law. And Simeon meets him. He's 
able to bless the child. He's able to hold the baby. And shortly thereafter, you know, Simeon goes on to be with God. He's no longer here on the earth. Well, in that same kind of story, right after this interaction with Simeon, is we, we meet our character today, whose name is Anna. And so that's where we pick up. Right after uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph are finished with Simeon, Anna Anna enters the scene, and so that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. So if you want to follow along with me. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So what do we know about Anna? Much like Simeon, these are all the details that we get. There's not entire chapters of the Bible devoted to Anna, and so you kind of have a small snapshot of her life through these handful of verses. But one thing that we see about Anna is that she was a prophet. And a prophet was someone who was given messages by God to speak to the people. And so the message that Anna was given by God to speak to the people is right there in verse 38, and that is that Jesus will be the Redeemer. And Jesus being a Redeemer is a really fancy way of saying that Jesus is going to make everything right. Jesus will make everything right. He is the one who God has sent to make everything right in our lives, to save us, to make us whole, to make us complete. And so she's the one that says, he's the one you're looking for. He is here to make everything right. Now, what's really significant about Anna is she's one of the few named female prophets in all of Scripture. And it's extremely significant because what is Jesus trying to show us here? Jesus is trying to show us here he wants to use everybody to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Now, sidebar, fast forward a little bit. At the end of Jesus' life, when he dies and he's put in a tomb and he's resurrected, who are the first people on the scene to proclaim that he has risen? It was women. And so here, at the very first couple proclamations of who Jesus is, is by a prophet named Anna. At the end of Jesus' life, it's women that are proclaiming he is risen, and it's so significant. And I'm so thankful for you ladies in our church, you women who serve so faithfully and who lead and who teach and who make such a difference in the life of our church. And we could not exist and could not do the ministry that we do without you. And so thank you. Thank you for stepping up and serving. Thank you for leading and bringing so much life and and leadership here in the life of our church. And I'm so thankful. And Anna gives us a beautiful example of what it meant to be someone who follows after God and who allows God to set her agenda. Now, she was the daughter of Penuel, and she was from the tribe of Asher. And if you go read about the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Asher was kind of known as the happy tribe. And so isn't it interesting that Anna from this happy tribe is the one who embodies the one who embodies that I'm going to go and proclaim this really good news and I'm going to do it very, very joyfully. Now, we know that she was old. We don't know how old, but she's at least 84 plus. So she's probably well over 100 years old and she had been married for seven years and she'd been widowed for 84 years. And as far as her day-to-day routine, it pretty much consisted of her staying in the temple. She worshiped in the temple day and night. She fasted. She prayed. And when the Messiah, Jesus, arrives in the temple, keep in mind, she had been waiting eight decades for Jesus to arrive. Do not let that be lost on you. 
When Jesus finally arrives, she comes to Mary and Joseph and she thanks God and she speaks in the temple this prophecy to all who are listening, this is the Christ child. This is Jesus. This is the one who is here to save the world. Now, like Simeon, she was patient. Like Simeon, she was righteous. Like Simeon, she was devout. Like Simeon, she was bold in proclaiming who Jesus is. And to be quite honest with you, I think that she deserves a place in your nativity set. I mean, we give the wise men three little characters in the nativity set. They don't come for like two years. Come next week. You're going to hear that story. <laughs> they weren't there when he was crying as a little baby. But here you have Simeon and Anna. Jesus as a 40-year-old baby breathing so much truth into the world and encouraging Mary and Joseph in the midst of this. So I give you full permission. Go home and just make a little, make a little temple and put it right beside your manger and put little characters of Simeon and Anna in there. Start teaching your kids about how important these characters are. But just because we don't know a whole lot about them doesn't mean that their impact isn't so felt. So what I want to do is I want to pull out kind of five points for you, five big ideas that you see there on your notes that you can follow along about what it is that we can learn from the life of Anna and how that should shape not only this Christmas, but the life that we have uh, to continue to live. One of the first things you probably notice about Anna is that she had lived a challenged life because she was a widow. She had been married for seven years, but had been uh, without her husband for 84 years. And undoubtedly, she's in a season that was not her preference because no one goes into that marriage to assume and to be hopeful that only seven years in, you're going to become a widow and then spend the next 84 years alone. That's not at all what her preference would have been. So she had experienced loss. She was grieving. But it doesn't seem that she allowed those losses to be the end of her story. It wasn't the end of her ministry. It was not the kind of definitive part. It wasn't defined by those things. And I think sometimes for us, our losses tend to define us, don't they? The heartache that we go through, the struggles that we go through, sometimes they, they tend to define us or we tend to try to not want to care about those things as much because what's much more comfortable for me, much more comfortable for me to bring all of my best to you. It's much more comfortable for you to bring all of your best, for you to bring all of your highlight reel of everything that you have done really, really well, all of your success, all of your awards, all of the things that you have won, all of the things that you don't struggle through, all of the things that God's really doing in your life that are awesome. It's really easy for us to bring all of those things to people or to friendships or to our community. But how comfortable are you bringing your struggles how comfortable are you bringing the heartaches? How comfortable are you bringing the difficult things that you go through? Because let's just be honest, it's really easy to convince people we have it all together, isn't it? It is really easy to try to convince everybody that everything is just perfect in my life. I referenced social media at the top of the message, and social media has done nothing but speed this up to breakneck speed, to where now we can convince everybody that our lives are perfect, because I choose to bring to you the highlight reel of everything that's awesome in my life. Do you guys remember it was not that long ago, I mean like 15 plus years ago, where we didn't have iPhones and you would go to an event, and do you guys remember 35 millimeter cameras? You would carry a camera? There's some of you in the room who are millennials and you're like, what is this 35 millimeter camera you speak of? It was a camera and it had film in it. And what film is, is this little roll that would capture the picture. I know, it's mind-blowing. And it would capture the picture, and you would have to put that roll of film in a little envelope, and you would mail it away. 
And then like a week later, your pictures would come back and you had like 36 images and you had no idea, was everybody's eyes going to be open? Was, <laughs> would she look atrocious? Would it be awesome? Would the picture be great? You had no idea. And it was that moment of you got them in the mail and you realized, well, those are lame pictures. <laughs> or why did I take a picture of that? You had one shot at an image. Now, all of us carry these phones around that have unlimited capacity of images And if I don't like the way the picture looks, I delete it. I get the lighting just really, really perfect. I make sure that everybody looks awesome in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I can convince you that I really have it all together. The problem with that highlight reel is it doesn't adequately show you all that's happening behind the scenes. When I post a picture of my family, what you are not seeing is the screaming that happened right before said picture (laughs) was taken. I'm not showing you the throw up that happened right before said picture was taken. I'm not showing you the hitting and the screaming that was happening before that picture was taken. And if we're not careful, we can carry that over into our spiritual lives to where we say the good things I'm happy to talk about, but the struggles, not so much. But what you see about Anna is that she didn't allow her hurt to be something she was guarded from. She didn't keep her hurt off of her Instagram story, if you will. She said, I want to bring that to this situation And she chose to move forward in the midst of the pain that she was experiencing. So how about you? You see the first question up here, one of the first kind of points to reflect upon today. Are you willing to allow your heartache to lead to hope? Are you willing to allow your heartache to lead to hope? I mean, go back to the text. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. See, your heartache surrendered to God, it can be a balm of hope for other people. It, of course, can strengthen you, but the heartache that you go through, it doesn't mean that the hurt goes away. It doesn't mean that life just becomes easy and there's never any problems that you have to endure, but you're likely going to be surprised how God will take your heartache and how God will take your pain, and he will use it in a hopeful manner if you bring it to him. And you say, God, I want you to turn this heartache into hope. I mean, think about Anna. As I've been preparing and thinking about and studying her life and and praying through this, I've asked myself the question, would Anna have taken up residence in the temple night and day if she were still married? Because it's possible that this really difficult season that she went through actually served as the catalyst for her to go into the temple night and day. And here we are 2,000 years later celebrating her prophecy and her proclamation of what God wanted to do. So if you're going through some heartache, don't think that God is separate from that. He's right there with you in the midst of that and allowed her to lead to an action that has brought so much hope. I mean, back to verse 37. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. See, there's no phrase that gives us a clearer picture of what Anna's life was like than this verse 37. It's a clear picture of Anna's dedication to God, what she was seeking to do, because she never left the temple. It says, night and day she prayed. She fasted, which is abstaining from food in order to feast on the things of God. It says that she lived with expectancy, much like Simeon. Remember last week we talked about how Simeon had such great expectancy of what God was going to do? Well, so did Anna. She had an expectancy to see the Savior and to proclaim as a prophet what he was going to do. And because of that commitment, it says she was sustained. So what can you and I learn from this part of her story? You see it up here on the screen. Second point is that spending time with God changes your life more than anything else can or will. Spending time with God changes your life more than anything else can or will. Because what did Anna find by being in the presence of God? She found that being in the presence of God was far superior to anything else that she had ever been looking for. And so she said, I want to stay there. 
There's power and there's life that's available to me today. Most of us are on a journey and we have things that we want to accomplish. We have things that we want to do and we have a list of things that we try to do or kind of a a mental checklist that we go through in order to help us be successful in whatever it is that we're trying to do. And if we're not careful, it's easy for us to try to work out everything to what I can do. And if I can't figure it out, then I'll give Jesus the leftovers. Okay, God, I've tried everything in my power. I've consulted every educational principal that I know. I've talked to every business leader that I know. I don't know what to do. I'm at an impasse. So let me throw my hands up and say, okay, God, maybe now you can show up and do something. Whereas Anna said, no, I'm going to stay in the temple because spending time with God in the presence of God is going to change my life more than anything else can or will. And when you put God in a place of priority, something happens in you. You realize you're not in control and you realize how good he is. And you realize how much he can be trusted. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been trying to control things too much. You've never given that control of your life over to God and you're not spending time with him and you're trying to experience all this change and you're trying to do it all. And Jesus says, I've done it all for you already. It's the message of the gospel. This morning at our 11 o'clock service, we get to celebrate transformation and baptism You get to celebrate baptism with a family here in our church, which is a very clear picture of a person saying, I die to myself and I'm raised anew with Jesus Christ. It's a clear picture of I'm dead to myself and I'm new and I want to spend time with him because I know that he changes my life more than anything else can or will. And something happens when I commit to Jesus first and I allow him to be my priority. What tends to happen is some things follow in my life. This says, this is a decision that I make and naturally things begin to follow. And what you see in Anna's life is that some things followed. When she kept her priorities straight, what tended to follow in her life? Faithfulness followed and contentment followed in her, in her life. I will not make you raise your hands this morning, but I can assume that a lot of us could deal with a little dose of contentment. That we could just say, you know what, I I need to be more content with who God is and what God is doing in my life. And I know that I personally seek to live a life of faithfulness. Anna is this beautiful picture of faithfulness because through it all, 84 years of waiting, she is faithful. And God provided for her in all of those years and trusted. I want you to stop to think about that for a second. That's a long time. That's a long time to wait. Now, what makes you and I able to be like Anna and to still be anticipating what is to come after all these years? It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus that can allow you and help you to be faithful in the midst of it all. And when faithfulness is your goal, you see this up here on the screen, something else happens. When faithfulness is your goal, you're always more excited about what's to come. When faithfulness is your goal, you're always more excited about what is to come. Let me flesh this out for you. When faithfulness is your goal, you're excited about the days that are to come more than you are about the days that you've already had. Now, guys, some of us, we're, we're living in glory days. We think of our best days when we could throw the football a quarter of a mile back in high school and we won the state champion and we love to talk about it all the time. There's something okay about reflecting, but a life of faithfulness says my best days are still ahead. The best things that are going to happen in life are still ahead. Why? Because I'm faithful and I'm content. And Anna certainly lived according to this principle Because after all the waiting, after all of the years, she's still as excited about what is to come, opposed to giving up. Now, how can you and I do that? Go to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Now, what do you and I know about faithful people? Faithful people are not consumed because they know that every day God's mercies are new. They know that every day God's mercies are new for whatever comes throughout the course of this day. And they say to themselves, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. What do we know about faithful people? They say, every day, God, you're my portion. And because of you, I can be content and I can wait and I can be happy and I can be joyful in the waiting, living a life of expectancy of what is to come. Now, some of us, we dream about the day when we can kind of kick back and do nothing. I guess it's called retirement. I don't know. Some of you are there. You dream about the day when you can kind of say, make, I want to make my life all about me. But then enter Anna. And Anna, with time, her intensity for God and her desire to be faithful to prophesy the things of God only intensified over time. There's something to be learned here. How can we know that? Because she didn't quit. Ten years passed. Jesus didn't come. She stayed faithful. Forty years pass. Jesus does not come. She stays faithful. Eighty years pass. Jesus doesn't come. She stays faithful. I'm thinking to myself, I'm probably quitting after year 17. <laughs> Just like, I'm out. Like, I have got to come up with something else to do. Lots of babies would have come in the temple over 84 years. Can't you imagine Anna standing at the door being like, here comes another one. Mm, nope, not Jesus. Definitely not Jesus. 84 years walking back and forth, day and night, praying and fasting, waiting for Jesus to come. And finally, in the 84th year, Jesus arrives. And when you're faithful, you are excited about what's to come. See, faithful people are literally, in my opinion, the most fun people to be around. And you've probably got some people in your mind right now that, that kind of fit that bill. Just people that you, imbi- that you just kind of think, they're just faithful people. They've just remained faithful over a long period of time. And I love being around faithful people. Why? Because they've seen God sustain them through it all, and they know that he will in the future as well. So they look to the future with hope, and they're excited about what is to come. Now, inversely, unfaithful people are the most unexciting group of people to be around. And you know some of those people as well. Why? Because they've made life all about them and they have no peace. They have no joy in their life. In fact, all of their peace and their joy in their life has been substituted with frustration and cynicism. Which person do you prefer to be around? Which person do you want to be? Because God says, I want to lead you into this life of contentment and faithfulness and allow this story of Anna to be a reminder that there's no greater joy in life than putting in the time and putting in the effort and still being excited about what is to come. Still being excited about all that God is going to do in the future. A couple of weeks ago here in our church, we lost a dear saint in our church, and his name was Ken. And uh, Ken had endured about a 12-month battle with cancer, uh, and meaning that some of you uh, never had a chance to meet Ken. Um, even if you've been around for a while, um, you may have not even known who Ken was because Ken was what I like to call a very quiet leader. Ken, Ken served so faithfully here in the life of our church, was so invested in the life of our church, but it would likely be that he would be in a room and sometimes you would just miss him because he was quiet and he was never going to be the center of attention. But he was so faithful, and Ken passed away right before Thanksgiving, and he left behind an amazing wife and children and grandchildren. Um, And Ken was retired from his job. He retired from the city of Brentwood. 
But what I love about Ken is that he wasn't retired from making a difference. He did not say in my next season of life, I want to make my life all about me. I was privileged to have a chance to visit with Ken just a few days before he died. And, um, and I wanted to ask him some questions and, and wanted to hear. And he started talking and the questions that he started asking uh, were, were really interesting to me because all he really wanted to know about were how things were going at the church. And he said, how's the construction going? And are those guys staying on task? Are they staying on time? Are they, they, they've given you a timeline. Are they, are they hitting their timeline? And he says, I drive by and I'm so excited about it. I love seeing all the dirt being moved. And Kent hasn't had a chance to be in our worship service because of his cancer and his treatments for the last 12 months. He wasn't here the Sunday that we had our groundbreaking. He wasn't here the Sunday we shot confetti cannons over the crowd. You guys remember that? If you're new, it was a Sunday we shot confetti cannons over the crowd to celebrate the grand, the grand you know, groundbreaking of our, of our campus expansion. Ken wasn't here that day for that. But Ken is so excited was so excited about what God was doing. His wife told me a few days after he passed away, Jason, Ken was so thrilled to see what God was doing in our church. And I think about Ken, and he served, he was invested in the work, and honestly, Ken had earned the right, according to the world, to kick up his feet and do whatever he wanted. But rather, he said, I still have an incredible vision of what is to come, and that, my friends, is faithfulness. That is faithfulness. A faithful person says, I am more excited about what is still to come than what has already happened. So can that be said about you? Now, in full disclosure, though, faithfulness, if faithfulness is the goal, because I love you, I want to tell you the truth. If faithfulness is the goal, then there's something you need to be prepared for to seek to live a life of faithfulness. And that is that likely you're going to be in the dark about most of the details of your life. So who's in? I mean, if you want to strive for faithfulness, likely what's going to happen is you're going to be in the dark for a lot longer than you want to be. You're going to be kind of not the first to know about everything that God's doing. You're likely going to kind of have to remain in the silence sometimes a lot longer than you would want to endure. So, you know, can we get a commitment from you right now to be faithful? It's, it's what it's going to take. So you see it up here on the, on the screen, point number four, the lack of details is often associated with a life of faithfulness. A lack of details is often associated with a life of faithfulness. I mean, it certainly was with Anna. It was with Simeon. I mean, these were faithful characters indeed, but they had no idea when Jesus was actually going to come. So what did they do? They waited. By faith, they waited. How about Abraham? Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, the one that he and Sarah had waited for for 100 years. And God said, many offspring are going to come through this child. And at just the right time, God provided. How about Noah? Noah was told to go build an ark, and at that, point in the, at that point in the world, it wasn't even raining yet. And by no means had a flood been anything that anybody had seen, and here you have Noah just, you know, day after day building this ark. How about David, the shepherd boy? He was laughed off the battlefield because he couldn't even hold his brother's armor, but he knew that God was faithful and that God would make him victorious. And then you enter Anna, a widow who was waiting for a promise and God did not hone in on the specific day that that promise was going to be fulfilled. God did not say, December 25th, 1 A.D. <laughs> Anna, here you go. December 25th, 1. That's the day. I'm sending my son. You and I can expect the same thing. That a life of faithfulness means that sometimes we don't get all the details that we would want. So what do we do? 
Well, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 tells us what we do. Let us hold then unswervingly to the hope that we professed, for he who promised is faithful. What do I do? I hang on to the promise of the one who is faithful. Now, interestingly, what makes Anna even more fascinating to me is that she doesn't have the details that you and I have. I mean, what do we have at our disposal that Anna didn't have? I mean, we know the whole story, don't we? We know the whole story. We have it in written form. She's living it out in the first century in real time, wondering and waiting. For us, we have generations who have gone before us. I mean, we have temperature-controlled church buildings. And a lot of us struggle with being faithful, dare I say, because we have so much. And because we have so much, we don't feel the need as much anymore to be faithful and content with what God wants to do. But if I really want to live a life of faithfulness, I'm going to need to wrestle with the fact that I'm not always going to know the plan. But praise God, I am spending time with the one who holds the plan. I'm worshiping the one who wrote the plan. I'm, 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 I'm singing praises to the one who is holding all of my life in his hands. And yet through it all, Anna gave thanks. Did you catch that? Before she even speaks, I'm thinking to myself, if I've been waiting 84 years, I'm going to open my mouth as quick as possible. But before she goes and speaks this truth to Mary and Joseph, and before she turns to the temple and begins prophesying this message, it says that she gives thanks to God. Another clear picture of the posture of her heart. When God opened up the door, instead of just kind of going after it, she said, God, thank you for giving me this opportunity to bring these words. And then she delivers that prophecy for all to hear, and it allows, that prophecy says that through God, sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that your life can be made right. So if this is the kind of life that you desire, if this is what you really want your life to look like, then you've got to realize how undervalued this is in the world standards. Just like there's things that I don't understand about the world and you don't understand about the world, just like there's, I'm here on this continuum and you're way over here. I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why I would do that. Why do you care about this? Why do I care about that? There's things that the world says are not valuable that God says are incredibly valuable. And there's actions that Jesus says, that's when you're most like me and the world mocks at that. In fact, I want to close today with this point. Faithfulness is undervalued by culture while celebrated by God. Faithfulness is undervalued by culture while celebrated by God. So are you willing to stay the course and to be faithful even when the world says quit? Because what does the world say? The world says if a relationship doesn't work out, what do you do? You just sever ties and move on. The world says cut your losses really, really quickly. What does Jesus say? Jesus says if somebody asks you to walk a mile with them, walk two miles. Jesus says somebody needs your cloak, give them your cloak and give them your tunic as well. Jesus says... Yeah, this desire to just kind of make life all about me is not what I celebrate. What I celebrate is faithfulness. So if we want to remain strong in our faith when the world criticizes our faith, which is only going to intensify, by the way, then we've got to seek to live with faithfulness. Are you willing to approach every day with humility and gentleness and gratitude, realizing that God still has work for you to do? Or are you going to enter a season of life where you make life all about you? I love this quote from Hudson Taylor, who's one of the great missionaries, again, one of the more significant figures in modern uh, Christian history. And he says, and I quote, all God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. I love this quotation. All God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. I'm always amazed at how little attention we give to people who are just faithful. 
But yet the people that you have in your mind right now that have had the greatest impact on your life are probably not people that the world would even know. But it's people who day after day have just been faithful in your life. And they've shown up consistently. And they've cared for you maybe when the world didn't care for you. So weak, significant people are often undervalued by the world. But those are the people that God says, well done. Well done. Giants are weak men and women who grab hold of God's faithfulness. Weak men and women like Simeon and Anna, they grabbed hold of God's faithfulness and they stayed the course in the face of being undervalued by culture and God used them significantly. May the same be said about us. May the same be said about you. I am weak. I am insignificant, but I want to grab hold of God's faithfulness and see what he desires to do and trust him in that. And the world may never know your name. The world may never give you an award. You may never get called up on a stage to win the faithfulness award. But God will use you. And he grows in you contentment. And he grows in you faithfulness. It's undervalued by culture. But God says, I celebrate it. May that be said about us today. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you, God, for making a way for us to be made right, for us to be whole, for us to be complete. And I pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts right now a desire to be faithful, a desire to not run after the things of this world, but to run after you and to be secure in you, to be faithful in you. I pray, Father, for the person here that may not have a relationship with you that might be struggling in their faith journey. They might be wondering, can you really be trusted? And I pray, God, that you would remind them that you can be. I pray for the person uh, or people in the room that are just going through a really hard time and they wonder, God, are you close? Are you near? Please remind them that you are. For the person that's ready to give up, that's ready to just kind of throw in the towel, God, I pray that you'd give them vision and energy and courage for what's next in their life. And for all of us, God, start something right now in us as weak, insignificant people who want to grab a hold of your faithfulness. And for all of our days, God, we seek to live for you. We don't want life to be about us, but we seek to live for you, God. So start something now in this place. Meet us here. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.